Hello and welcome to Accountant Instruction Help in How To. In this lecture, we're going to be talking about audit evidence and the documentation and gathering of audit evidence. At the end of this, we will be able to explain the function of audit evidence, evidence describe management assertions about account balances, presentation, and disclosure, list procedures used for obtaining audit evidence, describe how reliable different types of audit evidence are in relation to each other, and list types of analytical procedures and explain how they are done. So when we think about the audit evidence, remember that our goal here is to give an opinion on the financial statements, the financial statements being the responsibility of management. Management creates those final financial statements. When management creates those financial statements, there are some assertions and assumptions within the creation of those financial statements that are given that management has in the creation of them. Part of our audit process is to test those assertions and those assumptions and therefore gather evidence and test those and gather evidence as to whether they are correct, those assertions and assumptions, and therefore gather evidence that the financial statements are recorded materially correctly. So we're going we're gonna to gather that evidence through the audit process. We're going to document that evidence. And then through that process, we're going to come up with an opinion on the accuracy of those assertions and assumptions and the accuracy of the financial statements based on that. And hopefully, if the evidence then backs up and supports the assertions made by management, then we can give an audit report and our opinion with hopefully an unqualified opinion based on that evidence, based on the backup that we have documented. So when we break out the assertions, that means that first got to break out the assertions, we want to categorize the assertions, and then we want to design our audit so that it's geared towards verifying these specific assertions. Now this is going to be important because a lot of times when we think about audits, we think about a bunch of procedures, but we need to be able to put those procedures to a particular assertion. And this is really important for many different areas. I mean, if we were going to make the internal controls of, of an organization, we need to know the assertions that those internal controls are geared to go towards. If we're testing the internal controls or we're testing certain assertions, then we, we need to know what those tests are actually testing for. We need to know a specific assertion. So this is going to be the idea of breaking those tests out into specific assertions so that we can know exactly what we're doing within the process. And of course, if we're taking test questions, that's going to be a common test question. The test question is not just going to be, well, what does this, is this an audit procedure that we should do? It's going to be an audit procedure that's going to be, why should we do this procedure? What is it testing for? What particular assertion is it testing for? So when we categorize the assertions, we can think of them in a few different groups. We can say that there's going to be assertions made about transactions, the actual transactions that we're looking into, we're digging into the actual processes that are happening, the transactions and the journal entries related. And when we think about those, we can have assertions related to completeness. Are the transactions complete? Is everything done that should be done within the transaction? We can think about the classification of the transactions. Are the transactions classified correctly? Common classification uh, test would be whether the classification for something like equipment was recorded in equipment or was it recorded as an expense and should it be recorded as an equipment or expense. Accuracy, are the transactions that are being recorded accurate? especially when we're, talking, when we're talking about estimations. So if we're talking about estimations related to things like depreciation or allowance for doubtful accounts or um, actuarial accounts and things like that where we're using estimates, are the estimations accurate when we look at these transactions? Authorization, when we think about transactions, were they authorized? Is there an authorization process? Cutoffs, when we think about transactions, 
we're often thinking about, especially when we're thinking about revenue and expenses at the end of the time period, usually the end of the year, we're worried about whether the transaction was recorded uh, revenue and expenses in the correct time period. So if there was revenue recorded in December, should it have been recorded in December? What, what could we test for that? Oftentimes we can test the shipping documents if they have inventory because that's usually when we determine that revenue should be recognized under the revenue recognition principle. So those type of cutoff tests are always something we want to look at and we have to look at those basically on the transaction level. We have to dig down to those transactions and take a look at them. Occurrence. Did the transaction actually occur? So obviously we want to make sure that the transactions that are being in place, and again we're probably concentrating on that possibly the end of the year period to see if the transactions are something that actually happened and we can track things like shipping documents and test that and we'll talk about that as we go. We have assertions about account balances and period balances. So these are going to be the actual financial statements. If we look at the financial statements, we're looking at assets, liabilities, and equity. We want to say, hey, are those assets, liabilities, and equity, are these assertions related to them correct? One, do they exist? Are these things that are be reported on the balance sheet, did they actually happen? Do they exist? Two, are they complete? The things on the, on the financial statements, are they complete? Now, I want to point out at this time that we're usually, we're usually as auditors, we're going to be more skeptical that the financial statements are going to be overstated. We kind of want to err on the side of uh, guarding against us overstating the financial statements, meaning liabilities being, being, or I'm sorry, assets being greater than uh, they should be or liabilities being less than they should be. And that's because we're usually looking out for such as investors for a publicly traded company. And we don't want investors to be investing based on data that is overstated. So when we think about existence in that context, we're probably more skeptical about assets being uh, reported on the balance sheet. Is, is that forklift that you have on the balance sheet? Do you actually have that? Then we have completeness. When we think about completeness as it relates to balance sheet accounts, do, is everything that's recorded complete in terms of assets, liabilities, and equity? And there, we're probably more concerned with the liability side. We're probably more concerned with saying, are the liabilities that are recorded, is everything that's recorded that should be recorded, are the liability transactions complete or the balances on the liability side complete or are there more that aren't reported <laughs> on the financial statements? Rights and obligations. Do we have rights to uh, the uh, and obligations in terms of assets and liabilities on the balance sheet accounts? And we're probably more concerned here with having rights to assets oftentimes meaning things like large pieces of equipment and that type of stuff. Do we have rights to it? Is it really ours or is it leased? Is it a type of lease on the books? Um, we might have valuation issues when we're thinking about the balance sheet account and the, the income statement account. We're thinking about assets, liabilities, and equity. Valuation, is it valued correctly? This is especially something we want to look into when we're thinking about estimates. When we're estimating many things on the financial statements, we might be estimating the allowance for doubtful accounts and we might want to re look at that and say, is the estimation good? Is it, is it accurate? Depreciation is another one we probably want to look into. If we're, if we're looking at pension plans and things like that, we might want to look at the valuation of uh, the pension plans and the retirement plans and see if those are being valued correctly. Then we have assertions made about the disclosures and the presentation of the financial statements. So we're assuming the assertion for the management's assertions as it relates to the disclosures things that are disclosed within the financial statements as well as to the footnotes of the financial statements. 
where their assertion is assumed that they are going to be understandable. They're going to assume to be accurate and, and the valuation is correct in terms of the disclosures. If something is disclosed in the financial statements and if it's disclosed to the footnotes of the financial statements, we want to note that the footnotes are correct and disclosed in an accurate format. If we're thinking about things like a lawsuit that could may happen or something like that, we want to see if, if the valuation looks correct. We also want to look for completeness in terms of disclosure. Is anything that, uh, that should be there there? Management assertion is that it is, that things that are there uh, that would be relevant have been disclosed, so it would therefore be complete. Now, if we think about this all in one context, so we're going to try to list out the types of assertions that we have gone over here, and we've looked at them in three different sections. We looked at them in terms of the transactions, we've looked at them in terms of the balances, we've looked at them in terms of present presentation and disclosure. Now, some of these assertions we've seen, we've heard again and again three times because they're going to be assertions we look through when, when we look at the transactions. They're going to be assertions that we assume management has when we look at the balances, assets, liabilities, and equity, and their assertions when we look at the disclosure. But some of these assertions will just be applicable to one of those three or two of those three. So let's go through these assertions again and then list out what if it is or not applicable to these three areas, the area of the transaction level, the balance level, and the disclosure level. So we have the assertion of occurrence. Did something occur or exist? Now that is something that could be in all three areas. We could say when we look at transactions, when we dig down to actual transactions, did this transaction actually occur? If we're looking at a revenue transaction and an invoice, did the invoice actually happen? Did the, did the, doc, did the shipping document actually go out? And, and verify that. The assertion is that it is. The assertion we're assuming for management is that all the transactions in there actually happened. The assertion does relate to the account balances. When we think about the existence on the account balance side, we're looking at the assets, liabilities, and equity, and the assertion is that the amounts reported as assets, liabilities, and equity do indeed exist. That's the assertion. And then when we have the presentation side, if we're looking at disclosures, then same idea. If something is disclosed, we're assuming it did exist. That's going to be the assertion. Those are going to be the assertions we're going to try to back up. If we're thinking about rights and obligations, the rights uh, and obligations, do we have the right to the assets or liabilities that we have? That usually applies more not so much to the transaction level, but more to the balance level. We're looking at the balance on the balance sheet, the assets, liabilities, and equity. More likely, oftentimes, the assets and saying, do you actually own these and looking through those. Now, when we do that, we're going to go back to the transaction and back to the documentation to see if it was a lease, for example, or if it was a purchase. But we're really looking at that in terms of main category being the balances, assets, liabilities, and equity. When we look at completeness, if we're looking at the um, assertion of completeness, that's another one that could be in all three categories. We can look through the transaction levels, and we're assuming that the assertion is that all transactions that have been recorded are complete in the recording. And we can test, we can work on tests to test that assertion. We also assume that the assertion is true for the balances. All balances that are reported on the financial statement, assets, liabilities, and equity are indeed complete. That's the assertion we're making. And completeness does apply to a presentation level. When we look at the presentation or disclosure level, the same idea is that anything that is disclosed that should have a material impact, that could have a material impact, is disclosed. Then we have the authorization. 
when we go through authorization, we're, we're usually applying that specifically to the transaction level. We're trying to say these transactions, were these transactions authorized? Is there an authorization process? So that's really one uh, type of assertion that we are looking at more on the transaction level, not so much on the balances or the disclosure level. Accuracy, was it accurate? Is the valuation correct? That's another one we can really apply to all three levels. Accuracy, we can look at the transaction level and look at, see if the transactions were, are being recorded accurately. We can look at the, and, and that's going to be assertion, an assertion that management makes that they are recorded. We're going to make tests to, to prove that assertion to be correct or not correct. The uh, accounts balance side, again, are the accounts recorded accurately? We're going to make that assertion. That's an assertion that we assume to be made when we see the financial statements, and we're going to test those assertions presentation and disclosures. So we're thinking about the disclosure side. Is everything on the disclosure side accurate? Was it disclosed, is it disclosed accurately in the footnotes? Then we have cutoff assertion. That's one that's really going to be on the transaction side mainly because we're really thinking about, okay, these transactions, are they recorded in the proper timing frame? And remember that cutoff test is usually going to be looking at the end of the period, usually like the end of the year and trying to decide if the transactions are correctly being reported as of the end of this year as opposed to the beginning of next year. So we're really looking at those that cutoff dates. Now, that's going to be on the transaction level. Of course, if it's, if it's wrong, if those transactions are wrong, we could have an issue with the account balances not being accurate. But the cutoff assertion itself is usually something that we will take a look at on the transaction level. Now, what are we going to do with all these assertions? These are assertions that we are asserting that management is asserting. We're saying that this, these are true assertions. Those are the things that we're going to dig into. We're going to try to prove with evidence the accuracy of those assertions. Hopefully, they are true. If they are true and those assertions are correct, then it's more likely that the financial statements are free of material statements and we can give a positive opinion. So what we're going to do is gather evidence. We're going to look through audit evidence in order to back up those assertions. So when we gather evidence, that's going to be anything from any source that we are going to use in order to arrive at a conclusion, a conclusion as to whether those assertions that we're looking at are correct or not. So we're going to get gather the evidence. We're going to document that evidence. We're going to then make a decision based on that evidence. That's what the audit evidence is there to do. We're going to back up those assertions. So what is this actual audit evidence? What's going to be the physical documentation or the type of information that we are going to gather? Well, we can think about the nature of the audit evidence as being that stuff that we put together when we're thinking about financial accounting. When we were putting together the financial statements and we were building the journal entries and then we were putting those journal entries into a trial balance and then or into a general ledger and then making subsidiary ledgers and then putting it into the trial balance and then making financial statements. All of that stuff is stuff that we could be used as evidence within the audit process. We're going to look into those and we're going to branch out from there. So records of, of initial entries, when we think about the actual transactions in your financial transactions, usually those are going to be driven through documentation oftentimes. So the initial documentation, things like invoices, when, when we record the sale of something, things like bills are going to be in there. And uh, those of, uh, payroll transactions were, are going to be in there, the source documents for the payroll. We could take a look at the general ledger. We could take a look at subsidiary ledgers that are backing up the accounts receivable and the accounts payable account. Any other types of special ledgers that we want, that we might be taking a look at, depreciation and worksheets related to depreciation schedules and those types of things are types of documentation that we can, would look at. Probably going to want to look at the adjusting entries and the adjusting entry process, worksheets related to the adjusting entries. 
We can like take a look at the trial balance itself. Things like bank reconciliation, contracts, well, those are all types of things that could be within the nature of the types of evidence that we can look into as we go through the process. Now, when we go through the process, obviously we cannot look at everything. We're not going to be able to look at everything. So we're going to have to analyze what stuff we're going to need to pick up, how much of that stuff do we need to pick up in order to test any particular assertion. And remember, last lecture we talked about the risk assessment. So how, how high or low is the risk? Now that we're saying, well, the risk is high or low for a particular assertion, then the question is, well, how much evidence do we need and what quality of evidence do we need? So there's two types of things that we can put together in terms of gathering the evidence to get to a point where we believe that enough evidence has been gathered in order to uh, prove the assertion. One is going to be how much, how much should we gather? How much evidence do we need just in terms of quantity? And of course, the idea would be that if we believe that there's going to be a higher risk, of misstatement then we need to do more and we're going to have to gather more evidence so we're going to dig down and get more evidence if we think the risk is higher and if we think the risk is lower then we can we can get by with less evidence and spend our time within the audits on things that have that higher risk and then of course we need to also think about the quality of evidence so remember it's quantity and quality we got to we got to get some kind of balance between those two things in order to get sufficient evidence for the audit. If, if we have a high quality evidence, then possibly we need less of it. If we're not able to get the higher quality of evidence, then possibly we have to rely on the higher quantity of less quality evidence. We might have to do more digging and rely on the less quality evidence in that case. So when we're thinking about the type of evidence, how good is the evidence, um, we're thinking about is it relevant to the assertion that we're trying to prove? And is it reliable? How reliable is the evidence to the assertion? And so we could have things like types of categories uh, would be an independent source outside of the entity. That type of documentation, something like a bank statement that comes from the bank, it's coming from a third party. That's going to be a very strong type of documentation. And if we're the reason we always use the bank statement oftentimes is because cash is going to be something that's going to be inherently risky. Therefore, we're almost always going to have some type of audit procedures in cash that are going to be somewhat substantial. One of those audit procedures is almost always going to be, let's get the bank statement from the actual bank. Let's, let's get a confirmation from the bank of the bank balance. And in that way, if we confirm the bank balance at the bank and the bank gives it directly to us, then we're getting verification from an independent third party and it can't be tampered. If we got the bank statement from the client if it went to the client and then to us it's still documentation still evidence but it's not as strong because it could have got tampered with in with by the client before getting to us we'd rather have that independent confirmation from the third party so that's generally going to be really high level type of evidence then if we have internal controls that are well done if we can document the internal controls remember we did we thought about that in planning and planning process what type of internal controls but we could do that in the testing to gather evidence as well as evidence as to whether the financial statements are correct or not so that that could be part of our process because if the internal controls are found to be done well if we have high internal controls then we can do less testing and that's that would be an appropriate way to do it now in the pre uh, preliminaries when we looked at it in the planning stage we might have said hey you know the internal controls on this particular process aren't that good and we just know that they're not that good. So we're just going to have to do a lot more testing there. That could be something that happens. If we come to the conclusion, we say, hey, the internal controls here look like they're pretty good. 
then in the evidence process, maybe we want to verify that internal controls deeper. We can then put more into the internal controls and possibly do less actual uh, substantive testing in other types of ways. Uh, we can go out and actually look at things, have our direct understanding and knowledge of the process. So these are going to be things like observation or something like that. If, if the client says we have so many units of inventory, we have you know, this many units of inventory, we can go out there and count it, and that would give us some evidence. Now, again, the inventory is usually going to be huge. We're talking about large levels of inventory. How would we do that? We'll talk more about that later, but we can get a sample, for example, and then go out there and get a random sample and then go in there and surprise them all and then look up for these random samples and, have a, and then be able to have evidence that we believe can statistically say that all the inventory is there. Now, that's going to be really good evidence for us in terms of it physically being there because we trust our eyeballs more than... The, the financial statements. That's going to be high in terms of it physically being there. But of course, we cannot do that for everything because what that doesn't tell us is basically the value of the inventory. So if we're talking about clothing or, or something like that, us as auditors, we can say, yeah, there's, that's there, but we don't, know, we don't know how much it's worth. So we're gonna, we can't totally rely on our outside knowledge on, on everything and, and observe whether it's there or not. Uh, the documentation of the evidence is going to be higher than non-documented evidence. So if we can get documentation, I mean, a bank statement is going to be more valuable than uh, if, if they just told us what the balance was. You know, we'd rather have the bank. And, and obviously the bank statement or a confirmation from the bank uh, in writing would be more valuable still. So that doesn't mean if we think about something like accounts receivable, if we're trying to verify the accounts receivable, and we see that there's this large amount that is due from a client, if, if we were to call their customer and we'd say, we're, you say that this person owes you this much money, we're going to call that person and just check it on their end to verify it and then have a verbal confirmation, that's still evident. We'll record that. We'll say, yeah, we called on this date and we record that's part of the evidence. But it would be stronger evidence if we got an actual in writing back and, and from the third party directly and said that that was going to be evidence uh, directly there. So... The documentation of the evidence is going to be stronger. Again, we, all the evidence that we gather, we'll put together, but we're looking to find ways to have stronger evidence where it's needed and having that cost-benefit anal analysis as to when we should look for that stronger evidence. And, of course, the idea of that documentation being original is, is an idea as well. So if, if we would rather have the original documentation than a copy or uh, some kind of recreation of the documentation, so if, we have the, if we're looking at the bank statements, we really want the original bank statements as possible. If they've been copied or processed in some other way, that makes them less reliable. If they were original and they came straight from the bank, <laughs> that, would be, that would be even better. Audit procedures will be the actual procedures that we will then put together in order to gather the evidence so that we can prove the assertions made by management. We're going to break those out into a few different categories. We're going to have the risk assessment procedures, those that are going to assess the actual risk. Now, we have talked about the risk assessment in the planning phase, but we could do in this point as well as part of the audit procedure, further test the risk assessment because that will then help us to dig down deeper and determine what other types of tests we want to do. Same with the test of internal controls. So we could, we've tested internal controls when we did the planning stage. And if we thought the internal controls were not so good, then we might want to just not do as much of the internal controls. We'll have to plan for a lot more of other testing. If we thought the internal controls were looking good, then maybe we want to confirm further the relevance of the internal controls and do less other types of testing. What other types of testing are there? 
Then we have the substantive testing. The substantive testing is the, the other type of testing when we drill, drill down onto the actual documentation and analytical procedures and uh, get more evidence in that format. Now we are going to have to put through audit procedures to test all of the assertions related to all the different accounts. We're gonna, that's going to be part of our audit program that we're going to put together. We're going to look at all the assertions that we're going to make related to all the accounts in the different categories and put together tests to come to a reasonable conclusion about the accuracy of those assertions. Now that doesn't mean that every assertion is going to have one particular audit procedure or doesn't, it could have multiple different audit procedures that are going to have to be made in order to get, get to that one specific assertion. And it could also be that different audit procedures, we could have multiple different audit procedures or one audit procedure could uh, be applicable as evidence to multiple different assertions. So we're going to have to compile the, the audit program in such a way that it would be as efficient as possible. So those audit procedures include inspection so when we're going through inspection we're inspecting the documentation and we can inspect the documentation going both ways in terms of how we've done it in financial accounting when we create the documents and then we record the documents and then they ultimately are included in the financial statements or we can do it how we often think of on the audit process going from the documentation and the end journal uh, general ledger and tracing it back to the original form so both of those are going to be important when we go from the actual financial statements or the end document, like the general ledger, if we're talking about something like sales and we're taking a look at uh, the general ledger and taking a look at a particular transaction and then bringing it back to the actual invoice, possibly the shipping document, that's going to be the process of vouching. We're bringing it back to the original documents. We're taking it from the end product, the financial statement or the general ledger, and we're, and we're vouching it back to the source document being the invoice. That's what we typically think of when we think of the audit process, taking the financial statements and verifying all the accounts that are on the financial statements. So that does test the assertion of occurrence. Did something happen? It could test the, whether uh, the process is being done well or correctly in some ways, but it doesn't test the completeness assertion. So notice that that's not all we can do. We also have to start from the source document and go the other way because that'll test completeness making sure that everything went from the source to the end result so we also want to go and get a sample from the source document side just get a sample of the invoices or a sample of the shipping documents and and then trace them back to uh, the end result being the financial statement or the general ledger and that will give us an idea of completeness on going on that side so we'll talk more about those in specific accounts as we go forward inspection of the assets that's going to be another type of procedure that we can have and of course that's going to be a high level of assurance so when we go out and inspect the assets if we go out and count the inventory we go out and look at the uh, assets that are, are there in terms of fixed assets we can physically count those and that can be a very high level of assurance because we're actually looking at the assets the valuation again a little bit more difficult but uh, that we can test for the units being there very accurately inquiry when we go to inquiry we're going to be talking to different levels of, of management. We can talk to management. We can talk to other people within the organization. We can talk to third parties and actually just have a discussion with them. Now, if, now of course, again, this isn't going to be as a formal documentation, so it's not thought of to be as high as audit evidence as something like documentation or documentation from a third party, but it is relevant. It's still evidence, and we want to record that documentation, and it is going to be an important part of the audit process. When we conduct the, the inquiry, we want to be specific in our inquiries. We want to understand who we're talking to, what do they know 
about the organization and what's their level of knowledge within the under, within the organization. We want to be clear with any type of, of questioning. We don't want to lead, ask leading questions. We don't want to go in with assumptions and, and broadcast the assumption through the format of the question. We want to ask open questions and make sure that we're getting open answers. We want to, of course, practice good listening skills, make sure that we're, we're getting the information back. And we want to have active, active listening. So active listening such as if someone says something, we pretty much want to repeat it. We say we, if we ask about the process for recording inventory and they tell us the process, we probably then want to say, okay, let me see, let me see if I heard you correctly. You're saying that you do this A, B, and C. Is that correct? And we can, we can actively listen that way. Otherwise, we usually record, we often record down our preconceived notion <laughs> of what we think it should be rather than, rather than actually confirming what is actually being said. A large part of the audit procedures is going to be confirmation. So those confirmations are things we're going to get from the third party. We're actually going to go to the third party. We're going to say, hey, this is what the books say. This is what the financial statements say. Let's go to the third party and get outside verification from the third party. This is going to be a higher level of evidence that we, ought, we usually want to do. We talked about that with the bank statement. So we're, we're going to look at the bank balance. We're going to say, hey, the GL says this, the financial statements say that. And so that's what we have from the financial side. We can look at the bank statement, and, but that was internally generated. We would almost always want to go to the bank, uh, st the bank and ask for a confirmation and ask them to confirm as a third party in some format and again from the banking that's always going to happen because we're always going to say that banks uh, just cash is a higher degree of, of inherent risk and but we can do that for accounts receivable as well so when we go through the accounts receivable we can say we can try to verify that the accounts receivable are correct by seeing who owes them money and then going to those individuals those customers and saying do you is this correct do you actually owe them money now Notice that the receivable, the customers do not have any obligation to cooperate with us. We're, gonna, we're hoping they do, and we're going to ask them to cooperate and give back the confirmation. And we could mail it out, we could call them, and we could have different formats of how it's going to be worded, and we'll talk about that later when we get into the accounts receivable. But uh, just realize that we, if we can get that verification, especially if we can get it in writing, then that's going to be a higher level of confirmation through uh, the accounts receivable. And if we can't get it, then we're going to have to think about some other type of ways we can deal with with um, verifying those amounts. Same for accounts payable. So we can send out to the vendors. We can go to the actual vendors. We can say, hey, the, they say that you owe them this much. Uh, is, is that true? And notice when we're, when we're looking at the, the vendors, we're really trying to see that we're probably assuming, that the, again, that skeptical kind of assumption that they may have understated, the company may have understated how much uh, they owe to the vendor. And so we're, we're kind of trying to see if the vendor is going to say, oh, no, they don't owe us only that much. They owe us a lot more. <laughs> and so on the liability side, we're, that's usually what we're looking for. On the, on the other side, on the receivable side, we're looking for people to say, I'm not, you know, that, that they didn't owe the money. We're, we're skeptical that the accounts receivable is going to be overstated rather than understated. So, and then we could do that with bonds. We can go to the bondholders and say, is the bond correct? We can do that with things like insurance coverage. We can actually go uh, to the insurance companies and say, is, is this recorded correct? Any types of loan transactions, that's probably with the bank again. So we're going to send that confirmation out to the bank and make sure that uh, the loans are correct to that third party. We can also recalculate things as, our, as part of our procedure. So especially things that are going to be um, like depreciation, we can recalculate. We can recalculate the aging or, or reperform it. And then we can recalculate the, the allowance accounts. So we can actually do our calculation and that's usually considered to be higher. We may not come out exactly the same 
as the as what's being reported. But if we if we're in the ballpark, we're saying we recalculated it, and the calculation that they have that's an estimate on some of these type of estimates, depending on like depreciation or allowance, uh, it looks reasonable. And then we can also do more substantive testing being the analytical procedure. So remember, those are going to be the things that we can kind of do in the office, and we can do a lot of things with uh, ratio analysis and trying to determine if uh, certain comparisons and ratios from this year to last year, trends from year to year, as well as trends within the current year, are uh, pointing out anything that we need to test on further. So uh, when we think about the hierarchy and lower and the higher and lower end of these types of procedures. Remember, we always have to analyze how uh, effective are these tests, how relevant are they to gathering evidence. Therefore, if, it, if they're on the lower end and we couldn't get the higher end stuff, then we got to get more. We got to get more of it. So we're, get, we're balancing the value versus the quantity. So on the higher end, when we think about our, if we go through and we actually go in and inspect the information, that's going to be higher end because we're doing it. If we reperform something, if we recalculate it, that's going to be higher end because we actually are doing it. Therefore, we're assuming that's going to be something that's a high level of confirmation. Uh, the second highest level are things like uh, con confirmations of third parties. So that's going to be fairly high. If we can get a, a confirmation from the third party and there's going to be different types of confirmations that we can have, analytical procedures are going to be fairly, fairly good procedures that we can rely on. And then the lower types of information are going to be the things like inquiry. Inquiry is usually going to be lower. We'll document that stuff. But we would really rather have it in documentation to get the higher level of, of um, verification. When auditors are thinking through the process of how much testing should we do and what type of testing we should do, we could think about it in terms of a hierarchy such as this. We're going to get a preliminary test of the internal controls. And from that point, we're going to take the next step and say, should we continue testing internal controls? Is that going to create value if we go in and test that during the testing process? If we're talking about a publicly traded company, then the answer is always going to be yes. We're going to do more internal testing of internal controls. If it's not a publicly traded uh, company, we're auditing some other type of company, we could come up with a different result. Then we're going to want to think about can we do more analytical procedures type of testing? Can we do more procedures that are basically the type of stuff we could do in the office, the ratio analysis, in order to test a particular assumption? If the answer is no, then we're going to have to go, all right, we're going to have to go in there and dig into the substantive testing, actual the performance of tests of transactions. If the answer is yes, as it is with a lot of different areas, if the, and the analytical procedures can contribute to the audit evidence, then we're going to perform those analytical procedures. We're going to then evaluate whether those analytical procedures have done the trick for us to be able to verify the assertion. And if the answer is, is that they have verified the assertion, then we can document the recordings. If the answer is that we need more substantive testing in order to verify this on top of the analytical procedures, or perhaps the analytical procedures gave us uh, some information that we want to drill down on further given the analytical procedures, then we're going to have to do, ver do substantive testing in order to verify those procedures. And then hopefully that'll give us the evidence then to document the results of the procedure. As we document these procedures, we do want to be very specific in the documentation. There's a few different things that the documentation will provide. One, obviously, they're going to support our opinion. They're going to support the evidence. They're going to be the evidence behind the opinion that we have. But they're also going to support other people looking at the documentation to verify our opinion. So we want to perform this in such a way that 
we have some standards that someone else can take a look at and go through the process and be able to gather that information. Those other people, people are going to be the people planning the audit, the supervisors of the audit. They need to be able to look at our work papers and say, okay, I see what is going on here. We may also have reviews, peer reviews or other types of reviews of our working papers at some time. If there's a problem in the future, then of course we need to, we need to evidence what we have done. That evidence will be through our documentation. The documentation included should include a detailed audit plan, the audit plan being the map that we had in order to conduct the audit and the types of assertions that were made and the types of activities that were done in order to test those assertions to give the nature and timing, the extent and the results of the audit so that that can be documented and clearly seen by a third party looking at the audit, whether that be a supervisor or some type of review process. And it also needs to be relevant in terms of who did the audit and we want to know who performed the audit, who was on the audit team, who's going to, someone's going to obviously sign off on the audit. Many times we're going to sign off on basically any procedures that we're going to have, of course. We want to know who was in charge of the procedure as well as who was uh, reviewing the procedure. Dates are important as well. When were the procedures done? We want to make sure they're done within a relevant range of time. In terms of documenting the, the documentation, we're often going to have two files with the documentation. We're going to have the permanent file. The permanent file is permanent because it does not change as much. And then we've got the current file. The current file will have things that will change more often from year to year. So the permanent file are going to have things that could extend for multiple years. So that's going to be the incorporation type documents are going to be in the permanent file. And we could have long-term contracts in the permanent file. We could have things like the organizational chart and just a layout of the management and, the, and maybe the goals in the permanent file that are long-term goals. In the current file, we're looking at those things that usually will change and things that we will do within the audit product from year to year. So our audit report, our documentation will be in there. We're going to have the trial balance and the working papers from year to year of us actually conducting the audit. We are going to be going out with the current file. Normally when we're going out to do the audit, we're working on the current file documentation and the support to the current file. The current file being the things that we're testing for that time period. Usually that year, we can think about it, that yearly time period. The permanent file being those things that are going to extend beyond that time period and be uh, useful for multiple years. And we're going to store those separately for convenience purposes. Different CPA firms will have different documentation processes when they are recording their documentation, but there generally will be some standardization. For example, the documentation should have the entity name on it. When we're working on our working papers, it should have some kind of title as to what the working paper is, and it should have the entity's uh, name and the year on it, should have the date on it, as well as our initial on it. We also want some kind of referencing on it. We want to be able to index this. We want someone to be able to see and go back and forth and tie together relevant information. So if, for example, if we got the bank statement, we might be ticking and tying the bank statement and have some type of indexing that would tie that out to the trial balance account. And we might also have the indexing that it would tie out to a similar record that would back it up in terms of a confirmation, a separate confirmation that we got from the bank. So we might have a trial balance that's going to include the information in terms of cash. We might tie that out to uh, the different types of cash that are in there. We might tie that out in some way to the bank statements that are backing up that information. And we might also, as further evidence, have separate confirmations that add that in. And we have to have some kind of indexing process. So a third party, whether again they be a supervisor or whether they be an outside person reviewing, can take a look at that. We also want, we could have tick marks and notes within uh, the working papers as well. 
The working paper and the documentation are the property of the auditors, and for publicly traded companies, they should be held onto for a minimum of seven years. Now, you may have noticed that we have used analytical procedures in many different areas within the process so far, including we have the risk assessment for analytical procedures, and these are going to be those ratio analysis and those other types of procedures that we had. When we looked at the risk assessment, we were trying to see how much risk was involved and therefore how much testing we wanted to include. But then we also are going to include this type of analytical procedures within the substantive testing. And the substantive testing, remember, are testing specific assertions. So we're going to have analytical procedures designed in that process. We will also use the analytical procedures in the final analysis in the review stage of the audit. Analytical procedures can be broken out into a few categories. We can think about them as trend analysis. These are going to be trends over time. How have things happened over time? Year over year type of analysis. Ratio of analysis. These are going to be comparing things. Could be comparing over years, but could be comparing to uh, the current year. We could be benchmarking and looking at the ratios and compared to industry averages and other competitors. And we could have the reasonableness analysis, meaning we're going to set a standard and then see if the analysis is reasonable within the standard that we are are setting. This process could look something like this. We're going to set up a standard. We're going to say this is what we think it should be based on some benchmark or based on other information. We're going to define a tolerable difference. That that what we think it should be is just going to be an estimation. So of course it's not going to be exact when we look at what actually is being recorded. And then we're going to look at what is actually recorded and see if it's within that level of acceptance. If it is within that level of acceptance, then we can basically just accept that and record it as the documentation. If the difference is greater than what we accept as the level of documentation when we're doing this analytical procedure, then we're going to have to drill down on it further. We're going to have to find more evidence in order to support our assumption. That, that's the type of analytical procedure that's going to point out to us that we need to do some more testing in that process. When we develop expectations, there's a lot of different areas we can develop the expectations from. We can, we can look at the financials and operating data. We can look at the budgets that they had and compare what the, they thought was going to happen in terms of the budget, the company's budget, to what actually happened. We can look at the industry, what actually happened within the industry, and compare that to the specific company within the industry. We can look at competitors and, and uh, other types of reports in order to come up with these expectations.